Did you get one for chapter 8, speaking the truth in love? Let's look at that verse at the top there. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 15 says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But here's here's the contrast. Here's what we can do. Speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. We must be committed to speaking truth at all times. We cannot speak lies. Lies might be comfortable for a short period of time. People might appreciate lies. People might want to have you speak lies. But our commitment as Christians is to not speak lies, but to speak the truth. But we cannot speak the truth the wrong way. If you speak truth the wrong way, sometimes it's worse than lying. (laughs) You know, the Bible teaches us to speak the truth with love. We must speak the truth as we ought to speak the truth. And so, as he speaks here in this chapter, chapter 8 uh, in the book is The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's a tremendous resource, something that I've been encouraging you to purchase if you don't have a copy, uh, but I hope this is a helpful, helpful uh, thing. It's been so helpful for me to go back through this book uh, carefully again. What he says, how, how do we do this? How do we speak the truth in love? By the way, go ahead and find a verse down here and look it up because we will be uh, working through these verses, and I like to keep it moving tonight if possible, get through as much uh, as possible. Um, notice what, he, what we talked about earlier was that although uh, words are often used in sin, off, words are absolutely required if we are going to be uh, restoring people. So what he says is, is that we should bring hope through the gospel We should not uh, harp on the demands of the law. He says, rather than dwelling on what people should do or have failed to do, when you're restoring people, focus primarily on what God has done and is doing for them through Christ. And he gives examples, two examples really in, um, in the Bible that he gives is, number one, Jesus with the woman at the well. What he focuses on is what God is doing in her. He doesn't harp on her failures. He mentions them. He, you have to, people have to see their failures in order to want to be saved, but he, he, he gives her, he points her to the living water towards uh, what, what God is going to do through her. The second uh, interesting analogy he draws is in the gospel, or in the books of Paul, that Paul writes, the letters that Paul writes. Now, if you do a study, you should do a study sometime, and I, I did this actually when we worked through book of Romans. If you study uh, Paul's letters, almost all of them, except 1 Corinthians is a little bit of an outlier in this, almost all of them are structured in two parts. The first half covers what? The doctrine, the gospel. It covers truth. So Ephesians chapters 1 through 3, right? And then chapters 4, 5, and 6 of Ephesians cover application, practical, practical things. So doctrine and practice, the two sides are, are almost always covered. Romans is chapters 1 through 11 is almost all doctrine. Chapters 12 through 15, really, early chapter 16, implications. If you, the way I, I, you can study this is I have a, a computer program where I can, stu- I can uh, search different forms of the Greek uh, verbs. And I, if you search um, a Greek, well, you, I'll just do this for you sometime and show you graphs, but it's pretty cool. You can search Greek verbs in the imperative mood, which is a, a, a command, right? An imperative is a command like go or or, or, or believe, or, or you know, um, uh, speak, or whatever. And, and, and every single one of Paul's letters, there's like almost zero imperatives for the first however many chapters, and then boom, all of a sudden, the second half, there's tons of imperatives. 
And that's just a simple way of visualizing every one of Paul's letters does that. And that's what he says here is that, that, that Paul focuses this way. Instead of, coming, instead of coming at them, beginning with the implications, he begins with the gospel, with the truth. And after he presents the truth and after he presents the hope, then he tells them what their implications are uh, from that. So bring, bring the, the hope of the gospel, the hope that the gospel gives. Don't just burden people down with, you're a failure, you're a failure, you've failed to do this or whatever. Um, James 1.19, who can read that for us? James 1.19. Anybody got that verse? Yes, sir. That's okay. This is not a sword drill. That'll come later in the year. Yes, sir. Okay, so the title of this section is Be Quick to Listen. Uh, uh, swift to hear. Okay, quick to listen. Let us be quick to listen. Why should we be quick to listen? Why is it that we need to be quick to listen to other people when we're, when we're uh, dealing with them? The, the title of this message is Speak the Truth in Love. But before we should speak... We should be quick to listen. We should hear people. Number one, it improves your ability to understand others. If, if, you, if you can listen, you can help and understand other people. To understand other people, you have to listen to them. Okay. If you listen to them, you can understand where they're coming from. Hear them. There's nothing worse than you're trying to talk to somebody and you can tell they're not listening. They have already decided what they're going to say to you. And, and if, you, if, you are, if you are just hearing people talk to you and you're already imagining what you're going to say to them, they can tell normally. So you need to intently listen to people. And it's amazing. When you listen to people, it makes a huge difference. It makes a huge impact on people. Um, uh, conversely, I, I actually found, um, this is something my parents taught us uh, when we were young. They taught us, they said, you know, most people are obsessed with themselves. And if you just ask them questions about themselves, They'll think you're great. <laughs> this was a little, you know, if you, if you want to get to know somebody, just ask them about themselves. Just ask them stuff, and they will talk about themselves. People, most people talk about themselves forever. And, 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 and uh, so that's one of my tactics for witnessing is I just ask people questions about themselves until I learn a lot about them. And at some point, normally, at some point, they, like, they feel bad they haven't asked me anything about myself, and then I get a chance to share the, share the gospel with them at that point. But really, listen, you will learn so much about people, and it is wonderful. Uh, to, to learn about others, you, get, you, you might actually catch yourself and choose a different tactic if you understand where they're coming from. Secondly, it shows you realize you don't have all the answers. This is one of the key reasons you should, you should listen, is that you know, none of us has all the answers. We should not approach a situation with our mind made up. We, we should come at every situation knowing that we don't have all the answers. We're not, you're not God. I'm not God. Okay? God knows all things. I don't know all things. Uh, I, have, I have more than once gone to confront somebody over something and then realized in the, the process of dealing with them that I was the one who was wrong, that I had misread them or misunderstood them or I was being too petty or whatever and had to backtrack very quickly because I realized that. And I, I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you, but uh, you probably have if, you, if, you're, if you're open to that, that uh, truth. Realize you don't have all the answers. Number three, it tells the other person you value his, value his opinion. You demonstrate respect, even if you don't agree. You ought to listen to people. So we ought to be quick to listen. And, and, and he, he mentions here there are several important listening skills that we ought to develop. And so here they are. Uh, Proverbs 18, 13. Who can read this verse for us? Jimmy, go ahead. He who answers a matter before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Okay, he who answers a matter before he hears it, it's a folly and a shame to him. 
Number one is waiting. Okay, this is hard. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't jump to conclusions. Um, if you answer before you hear, it's a folly and a shame. Don't jump to conclusions. Number two, don't interrupt. Now, I have a, I have a, a footnote on this in my own mind in that I actually think sometimes it's okay to interrupt if you're trying to understand or clarify and you're talking to someone. Like, for example, if you come to my office and we have a discussion and, and it's a counseling session, I interrupt you all the time. I'm like, hold on, explain what you mean by that. Or wait, stop. And I, I will actually do that on a regular basis. But that's because you're in my office and I'm your counselor. I don't think that always works if it's a, if it's a conversation, if it's a dialogue. Remember, dialogue takes two people. Okay, monologue is one person. We're not about monologuing here where you just talk and talk and talk and talk. A dialogue takes two people. In order to listen, though, you should not interrupt them constantly. You should let them get their ideas out. And so you are waiting. You are listening to them. Number three, be comfortable with silence. It's one of the points he makes out. He makes that, that a lot of us are very uncomfortable when the room gets quiet. We, we want to fill the air. And sometimes the most effective way of listening and actually processing a thought is to just let it sit. So be okay with that. Be okay with silence. You don't have to constantly be talking. Uh, and, and number four he puts here under waiting is don't offer immediate solutions. Sometimes we need to sit on something, and these are all just wisdom issues here about immediate solutions, et cetera. Sometimes we need to sit on something. I'm bad about this. I like to have solutions like now. I like to say, okay, here's my, here's my answer to your problem. You know? um, and, and that's just because I, I, I think I know what the answer is. <laughs> sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong, right? I mean, we're all... We've all been there, but um, the idea here is that you, don't, you want to listen, and you want to take your time, and you don't want to ruin your testimony with that person, okay? Any comments on that so far? Does that make sense? Waiting? Don't answer a question before you hear it. The classic example of this is when someone says, I'm going to stop you right there. Okay, here's your problem, and they just they give you the answer to something, and you're like, that's not what I was saying. That's not where I was going. If you'd just waited you know, let me finish what I was saying. I feel like that's people on the news, you know, let me finish, let me finish. So um, let people finish, let them talk, and then um, and wait. Okay, attending is the uh, second point here. It makes the point that the mind works faster than you can talk, so don't get distracted. When someone's talking to you, don't allow your mind to wander. Start formulating ideas in your head ahead of time, or start uh, thinking about other things. Number two, he says, maintain eye contact when someone is talking to you, listen to them. That's hard to do, because sometimes it, it can come across the wrong way, but it's important to do, maintain eye contact so that you are uh, paying attention to them. Um, number three, avoid negative body language. Do you, do you guys know what negative body language is? Like what will be, a, what will be some classic negative body language moves? There you go, everybody crossing, crossing your arms, right? Uh, looking around, being distracted, looking down at your shoes. Um, uh, even like the whole... Uh, the whole covering your mouth or covering your eyes or pulling your hair. What's that? Looking at your phone. That's a good one. Um, just today I was talking, uh, we, were, we were at, um, we were helping out the Levisters. And I, I took Kevin with me because Kevin's one of our interns. And so he was with me um, on the trip. And on the way back, we were talking about it. And I said, you know, I, we were late leaving because it took a long time. And, but I didn't even realize it because we had been so busy. And I told him, I said, one of the things I really try hard to do, one of my bad habits is I look at my watch. And I don't, I don't mean it in a bad way. 
but I try really hard when I'm with people like that. I'm like, I'm, I'm not, I don't look at my watch. I don't know what time it is. I, don't, I try not to find a watch or a clock because if you look at your watch, you know what that tells people? It says, I'm on the clock, right? And you're on the clock. And I, I, I never, I don't really think of it that, I mean, <laughs> it used to be when my wife and I were dating, I would have to take off my watch because she got so mad at me for looking at my watch. She's like, you and your stupid watch. You know, she, <laughs> it's like, what, are we done? Are we done talking now? Anyway, um, don't tell her I said that. But, uh, <clears throat> but it is, it's a problem. I have that problem. And that's my negative body language. And it's not intentional, but I, but I know about it. And so what, like, when I, I really am thinking hard, I make a conscious effort to say, you know, I am not going to be ruled by my time. I'm not going to be ruled by my watch. And if I'm late, I'm late, Right. I have, I have to deal with this situation here. And so we walked away. I was like, oh, I had no idea it was this late. And we had to call the office, say our, our meeting got postponed. Um, and I told him, I said, I, I, I did not know what time it was because I, 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 I knew that time was ticking, but I was like, I am not going to look at my watch. I am not going to look at my phone, right? So something like that. And, and, and there's all kinds of things. Just be open. Be open towards people, right? Uh, have open, like very, very consciously be open to them. Uh, try not to be closed. Try not to. Uh, people will just will, will pick through that. Any comments on that? You know what I'm saying. You get that right. Everybody understand what I mean. Okay. Um, number number four there. Eliminate distractions. And this this can mean anything like um, uh, turning off your phone. Um, sometimes there's uh, a TV on. Uh, or, a, or a computer on, or a, a something going on, uh, music playing or something, or you need to walk outside, uh, have a conversation. You need to get away to have a conversation. Eliminate anything that would be a distraction uh, so that you can have a good attending, uh, listening. Uh, number three, he mentions here clarifying questions. Uh, this is what I was mentioning about interrupting earlier. I like to ask clarifying questions. They're helpful. They show interest. And they encourage openness. When you ask clarifying questions, it shows that you're actually tracking with what they're saying. Number um, one, two, three, four, reflecting. This just, uh, again, this is if you're talking to someone and you say, let me, let me see if I understand what you're saying. What you're saying is, and then you rephrase what they tell you in your own words. And that's called, uh, that's called reflecting. And all you're doing is you're, you're basically saying, am I understanding you properly? If they say, no, that's not what I'm saying, then you need to, you need to do everything you can to understand them. And, and I've, I've actually found that a lot of husbands and wives struggle with this, is that it's almost like they don't want to understand each other. They, they, they get entrenched in their argument. And it's like they, 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 they mischaracterize each other rather than reflecting back and actually, actually understanding what their partner or their spouse is saying. So uh, reflecting is important. And then agreeing. Proverbs 15.31, does somebody have that verse for us? Somebody look that up yet? Okay, Tony. Uh, it's important to agree with your opponent, quote-unquote, with the person who you're listening to if this is a conflict situation, especially when you are wrong. Proverbs 15, 31. One who listens to life giving needs to be at home one Yeah, yeah. Uh, one who li- listens to life giving rebuke will be what? At home among the wise. So life-giving rebuke. We need to be open towards open towards rebuke. Um, one of the comments that he had in his uh, in his book here is a response is almost always better than a reaction. A response is almost always better than reaction. What does he mean by that? I think a reaction is more than saying, like, not thinking through it or more. Um, 
giving it any thought. Okay, reactions, not thinking through it or giving any thought. Somebody else? Emotions drive a reaction. Emotions drive a reaction. So it's not going to be the right response? I'm saying evaluation is important too. Okay, evaluation. Yeah, so what is a reaction? A reaction, there's no, there's like no thought and there's no evaluation. There's no time between the event and your response, right? It's like a boom. It's like something happens and you react. It's a reaction. Uh, react, there's a little book called Your Reactions Are Showing. Have you ever seen that book? It's great. It's a little book. Um, I used to give it out all the time. Um, your reactions are showing is like uh, how you react to things shows what you think. But, but a response means that you're taking in, you're processing, like Jimmy said, evaluating, processing, and then out, out, you have an output. And so being able to, to have interrupt your reactions so you're not like, what, what, what is that a sign of? This is a terrible form of question because I'm so open-ended, but what is it a sign of when you can interrupt your, your thoughts and process them before you respond? Um, that, that is a sign. I'm going to answer my own question. That is a sign of maturity, okay? Ch- can children do this? Those of you who have kids are like, no. Like, you even ask them, why did you do that? They're like, I don't know. Like, they don't think about anything. They just do, right? Something happens, and they respond. They react. Like, they, they just are constant reactionary mode. And a lot of adults are like that. They react, react. And that is a very childish, very uh, undisciplined and un- unbiblical way of responding. So, so we need to be uh, people who are responding, not just reacting. Okay, um, let's look at how the T has the next uh, part here after being quick to listen. So now we've gotten that taken care of. Be swift to hear, now slow to speak is our second section here. The tongue of the wise brings healing is how he titles this section. Who would like to read Galatians 5, 22 and 23? Chris, Chris uh, Niffin. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Very good. He says here, um, as we have seen throughout this book, peacemakers are people who breathe grace to others in the midst of conflict. He uses the word, he uses the phrase breathing grace, this idea of you're filled with grace. It, it, you breathe it out to others by confessing our wrongs, bringing them hope through the gospel, showing them their faults, and forgiving them as God has forgiven us. So it has to, everything we do has to be bathed in grace as we breathe out God's grace in our life. It ought to be a part of everything we do. Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians thirteen six. Who's got that one? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Number two is to make charitable judgments. Breathe grace, make charitable judgments. What does it mean to make a charitable judgment? Well, it means you're not going to assume, you're going to postpone judgment until you can accumulate or get, acquire all the necessary facts. You're not going to jump to conclusions. You're going to make charitable judgments. You're going to see the best in people. You're going to assume the best, right? Not assume the worst, there's a lot of things that are uh, uh, vague or hard to, hard to discern sometimes, and so when we are speaking, we need to make these judgments as charitably as possible. And then uh, we've already mentioned this several times, but the next one is speak the truth in what? In love. Speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.15, Philippians 2, 1 Thessalonians 5, all speak the truth in love. This next one is, doesn't have a Bible verse, but I think it's a very practical one. He says, talk from beside not from above. Okay. 
What do you think he means by this? Talk from beside and not from above. Yeah, Chris? You have to look down on somebody, right? When you are helping someone, there are two ways of doing it. You can do it like, let me show you the right way to do this, also known as my way to do this, right? Or it, it can be like a corrective, or you're speaking like, a, like, a, like an authority figure, or it can be a come alongside, and let me, let's, let's talk about this. And you're going to find much more success coming beside someone and pointing them towards uh, a solution than to come down upon them. And I think the model here is Galatians 6.1, that you which are spiritual restore such a one with a spirit of meekness or gentleness, considering yourself. We don't come to people with pride. We come to them with humility. The next one is help others examine the desires of their heart. That can be difficult to do, but we always ought to help others examine their desires. Get to the root, not just the fruit uh, of, their, of their behavior. Oh, this is only if they're open to doing this. It'd be very difficult to do that if they're not uh, the next one is uh, choose the right time and place. Choose the right. Timing is everything on this kind of stuff. Timing is everything. Choose the right time and place. You don't want to uh, try to confront somebody or talk to them when it's uh, like, like here's an example. When, when I come home from work and my wife is making dinner and she's got kids running around the house and some kids are crying because they still haven't finished school yet. And other kids are yelling because somebody broke something. This has never happened to your house. It only happens at my house, right? And these kinds of things are happening. And then, and then I come in and I say, and I have something. Jenna, i got to talk to you about something. I am not happy with blah, blah, blah. Is that the right time and place? Some of you husbands are like, nope. No, I've been there. It's the wrong time and place. I, how do we know it's the right time and place? <laughs> well, that's not it. Right? Whatever the right time is, that isn't it. And um, we have a couple here in the church, I'm not going to mention who they are, but um, they, they have a, a phrase they use, which I think is so amazing, um, which is they ask, they say, are, are you approachable right now? Some of you know who exactly I'm talking about. They, they say, are you approachable? That's such a great question. Because it, it, it is like a, you, have the, you have the freedom to say, I'm really, really, no, not right now. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to have this uh, discussion right now. I'd rather not. I'd rather us wait until I'm in a little better mood, until after I've eaten dinner or until after um, the kids are in bed, or until the house is quieter, or until, you know, um, wives, I, I'll put it back on you. Sometimes, um, sometimes your husband would be, let's just like, say it's playoff football season, and, and you go downstairs, and you see your husband watching football on TV, and you're like, perfect, perfect timing, and you sit next to him, and you're like, this is great. I get to cuddle up next to him and talk to him about our problems, and, and he's, like, he's like, honey, this is not the time. There's a football game on. Now, does he love you more than football? He better, Absolutely. Of course he does. But you realize that, 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 you, that it's important to be sensitive. If, if this is something that he is, it only, it's not something that's on all the time, you know, and he's watching something, he doesn't do this a lot, you know, I, obviously every situation is different. But read the room. Like, be, be aware of what you're, what you're asking of your spouse if you're going to sit down and talk to them, or if, you know, catching someone in passing and confronting them is never a good idea either, right? Hey, let me talk to you for a second. Hey, when you dealt with me last week, that was not good. You know, that's not good either. Why? You have to plan out a time and do it carefully. Choose the right time and the place that fits. Any que- what questions or thoughts do you have about this? Because this could go a million different directions. But do you, do you have any thoughts or questions or maybe some observations about this key idea of, of being careful about your timing? Um, 
A word fitly spoken, the Bible says, is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. What are apples of gold and pictures of silver? I don't know, but it sounds great. Yeah, Kim? One method I think that's helped me with um, dealing with like, my dad or like, the other sex <laughs> <laughs> is um, if there's something I want to talk to him about, I will say, I don't need you to answer this right now, but I want you to think about yeah. this. Yeah, that's a really good... So when you go into a situation that you've been thinking about a lot and you introduce it to a person who hasn't had any time to think about it, realize that you're doing that. A lot of us, I mean, I don't, sometimes I don't even realize I'm doing that. Like, I've been, I've been chewing on this idea, and I throw an idea out there, and, peop, and, and whoever I'm talking to is like, their first response is, no way, or that's a terrible idea, or whatever. And it takes a while, because I've been thinking about it. Or, you know, you're right. So giving them a heads up and saying, hey, I got, a, I got something I want us to think about. Can we talk about this later? It gives them, it might, it depends on the personality. Like some people are going to be like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to wait. I'm going to talk about it now. <laughs> you know, no delays. But that is, that's a really good, that's really good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody has any other advice? Feel free to, pat, you know, I'm, I'm new at this too. Yes, Brian. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And the other person cannot say anything until you pass them the floor. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good tactic, yeah. There's all kinds of ways you can manage chaos. If there is, especially if there is a, a lot of interrupting going on or a lot of not uh, listening going on, that's a great way he's saying you could have a, an object and say, look, it's, it's my turn to talk when I'm holding the pen or whatever it is, and then I, we pass it, and that's a way of managing, managing the time, managing uh, respect among the parties so that you, you both are heard. Absolutely. There's a lot of practical things you can do, and um, uh, uh, the next one on this is, is talk in person whenever possible, okay? Texting does not count as in person. In fact, I was reading a book recently, and um, I actually uh, told this to another couple I was working with. I thought it was so fascinating. It was a book by a non-Christian, and he was talking about how people have replaced relationships with things that stand-ins that are not as good, like texting, and he said, phone calls are close because you can hear a person's voice and you, you can hear a lot. But, but there's so much communication that happens face-to-face, so much, so much nonverbal, so much uh, happens beyond just the words being spoken. And the point he makes is that you should, ne- always, only reason you should really use texting is to get to a conversation, not as a stand-in for conversation. You should use texting as a way to arrange a conversation. Does that make sense? So you say, hey, can we talk on the phone or can we meet tonight to talk over this? Not, blah, 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 I've got a problem and you're writing a book. Because I've seen those texts before, right? People come to my office and we've had these conversations and they say, this is what happened. And I look at the phone and there is a, I have to scroll on the phone to, to read a book that this person has written, their spouse. And that's not, that's not helpful, okay? Because that, that, is, that is not typically going to work well. Now, ironically, the funny thing is, is that sometimes what actually does work well are letters. It's different. I don't know why it's different. But I think sometimes people process it differently or they are able to write more eloquently or be more compassionate when they write letters than when they text. I don't know why that is. This is, this is not in the Bible. This is just my observation. But I have noticed that letters actually will reach the heart much better than texting. Texting, just for whatever reason, does not work very well. So just if, yeah, Patty. Part of that just is a different part of your brain that's employed. Yeah. Between any type of typing or electronic. 
versus actually having a pen in your hand. Right? It's different. It's a different part of your brain. Yeah, and, and what, and like, kind of like a visual communication when you sit down and you talk to somebody face-to-face, -face, like there's so many little things. Like as you write with your handwriting, there are things, there are things, you underlines and the way you write can communicate. And so uh, don't, you know, if you, if you have a family member who you are estranged from, one of the, th and we've I've talked about this with many people before, one of my uh, regular recommendations is, is write them a letter because they will, they have the letter now and they can choose to read it. They can choose to read it again and again and again. And they can't um, cut you off. They can't cut the letter. And they can throw it away. They can do whatever they want. But once you have done that, that is a great way for you to reach out to someone who maybe won't listen to you is to write them a letter. But, I'll, 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 but whenever possible, go face-to-face. -face. As I said earlier, texting for some reason, as you mentioned, there's some sort of scientific reason behind it as well. It just does not, uh, does not work well. Um, the next one is engage rather than declare. Engage rather than declare. And, and what he means by that is that um, he says, quote, one of the fastest ways to make people defensive is to abruptly announce what they've done wrong. If you launch into a direct and detailed description of their faults, they are likely to close their ears and launch a counterattack. Therefore, it is wise to think carefully about how to open a conversation in a way that shows genuine concern for the person and engages him in listening to your words without being defensive. So, so engage rather than just declare. You have been insensitive to me by blah, 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 blah. You are whatever. Um, rather than making a statement, um, engage with them about this. Uh, the next point he makes, I'm going to end on this one, is that communicate so clearly you cannot be misunderstood. And um, the point, this is a business, uh, kind of a business rule. He said that um, rather than, he said, he said rather than thinking about uh, saying, I want to be communicated enough to be understood, or clearly enough so that I will be understood. That's how most people think. I want to clearly communicate enough so that people understand me. He says, I want you to communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood, which is another level of clarity, which might mean you say, this is what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying this. I am saying this. And when I say this, this is what I mean. I mean this, and I mean this, and I mean this. I am not saying this. You know what, I'm, you know what I mean? You have to be very clear. Because when tensions are high, I mean, how many times have you misunderstood your spouse or your parents or people, your boss or people like that? When tensions are high, is it easier to misunderstand or harder to It's so much easier, right, to misunderstand somebody when tensions get high. All of a sudden, you can just totally be talking past each other. So, so communicate so clearly that you cannot be uh, misunderstood. Um, the... Um, I think that's a really good principle. He says here, it is not good enough to communicate so that you can be understood. You should communicate so clearly that you cannot be misunderstood. The principle is especially important for people who are in positions of leadership. Their words affect many people. When they communicate in a way that leaves the door open for varying interpretations, they are setting the stage for misunderstanding and conflict. Okay, so please do that. Uh, any questions or thoughts about, about some of these uh, principles or thoughts on how to communicate uh, in speaking the truth in love? Very practical stuff here. Yeah, Patty. One question is, as far as like the time and place, what if you have someone that is tends to avoid those kinds those kinds of conversations? How yeah. do you get them to engage without running away? 
That's a really good question. So if somebody is, is avoiding those kinds of conversations, how do you get them to engage? Yeah, I think it depends. I think part of it, a lot of it depends on your relationship with that person, whether you're like a superior to that person. Like, I like guess say it's your, one of your um, students, let's say you're a teacher and it's one of your students, or it's somebody who works for you, or it's somebody who is responsible to you in some way. That's different. You can hold their feet to the fire. You can hold them accountable. If they're a peer, it's very difficult because you can't, you can't pull any authority, you know, kind of power on them and say, well, I need you to be in my office at whatever time. Um, I, I, I would just say persistence it has, uh, has been, I've had people do that with me. Like people sometimes don't want to, you know, talk to me. I'm the pastor, you know, I don't want to talk to the pastor. That's scary. You know, uh, I don't think I'm intimidating, but they might think, you know, whatever. And so, uh, but persistence sometimes in saying over, I'm really, I'm serious that I really would like to talk about this. And you pick the time you pick the place. Sometimes offering to buy coffee is like offering your, your, your setting. Hey, Coffee's on me, has has broke has broken down some barriers, but persistence is important. Uh, I, I mean, I know, I know how it is with it. Just depends on, uh, and then if it's a superior, if it's someone who's like your boss, and they don't want to deal with you, I don't know. That's that's a little bit more difficult. You might have to go through a different channel. But I think persistence is important, because I found that to be true for me. If I if people aren't listening to me or aren't aren't wanting to talk to me. I, I, I tend to just go back to them. I, I give some time, and I'm like, hey, did you miss this email? Or, hey, um, and often it's in writing. I do it in writing so I can keep track uh, of what I'm doing. Um, I don't know if that helps at all. I'm sorry. I wish I had better answers than that. Tony? Sometimes i found that it obviously depends on the situation, but if you can, if you can try to open the door with something to the effect of, um, can I have your help with something? Or oh, yeah. Can you? Make it seem like they're doing something for you, like you, you need them. Yeah. So that it's not so much. That's my line I use when I'm on uh, customer service on the phone. Yeah. It's like, I need your help with something. Yeah. You, you, can you guys are failing me. <laughs> right. But that's a really good. A lot of times, the, 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 the people, because I'm one of them, but the people who don't like confrontation, a lot of times that kind of takes the edge off of that. Yeah, that's a really good point. So get them on your side and see, see the problem. So again, I'll, I'll close with this, is that um, often what happens is, you know, we've got, we've got two people and a problem that separates them, right? And what happens is, is they say, hey, you're the reason for the problem. No, 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 no. You're the reason for the problem. And we're mad at each other. And we go round and round and round. What never gets talked about? The problem, right? We say, you caused the problem. No, you caused the problem. And so if we say, hey, let's, let's work on the problem. Let's work on the problem. Instead of blaming each other for the problem, let's talk about the problem. You can actually make some progress and, and, deal, and deal with that. That's a very simplistic way of thinking about it, but um, it, you'd be amazed at how many people, their, their basic solution to the problem is you need to change. Okay, that's not a solution. That's, that, that's not a solution to the problem. So the problem is part of you and part of them, and you've got to deal with it, deal with the problem itself. Okay, I've gone over, so I'm going to close before we get um, invaded here. So Thank you so much for your good attention. We'll pick up next week. Father, thank you for your love for us. Help us to have a good week. I pray, God, that we would have a good speech, and our speech would be filled with love, and that we'd care about the people around us. Help us, Lord, to have wisdom in these difficult situations that we don't always know what to do. I pray that you would open doors of opportunity. I pray we'd always pray and ask for your Spirit's guidance when we deal with people. 
knowing that you're working, and you're working on them, you're working on us. It's not just about making others change, it's about working towards Christ-likeness and all the things that we have to deal with. I pray your blessings on